So when God created the universe and this world and Adam and Eve, everything was perfect. Perfect. They had perfect relationship with God, trusting Him, loving Him, knowing Him, and they were filled with the all-satisfying joy of knowing Him constantly. And that joy they had in God overflowed then into perfect love for each other. There was no sorrow. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no sin. Everything was perfect. But then, shockingly and, and tragically, Adam and Eve did what we've all done. They decided that they wanted to make up their own minds about how they were going to live. They wanted to rebel against God. They wanted to believe Satan's lies. That's what the Bible calls sin. And the moment that they sinned, everything changed. It's like before they sinned, the world was under, it was perfect. It was under the, the sunshine of God's love and favor. His presence was there. Everything was perfect. But the moment they sinned, because God is just and must punish sin, the moment they sinned, everything changed. The, the dark clouds of God's judgment and wrath came. God pulled his presence back. Sin spread through the world. Death entered the world and spread through the world. And there was sickness and there was sorrow and everything changed. Everything changed. And the world came under Satan's influence, which is what we're going to be focusing on in today's passage. Satan's influence. Horrifying. God was still in sovereign control of everything, but, but he allowed Satan to influence people, to torment people, to terrorize people, so that we would wake up to the, to the sin in our lives. God allowed the world to come under Satan's influence. But at the same time, in fact, right after that sin had taken place, still in Genesis chapter 3, God made an astonishing promise. He promised that Eve's great, 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 many, many generations, great, great grandson would crush Satan's head, break Satan's power, destroy Satan. And in the process of that, Satan would crush the great-grandson's heel. Now that prophecy, which was made thousands of years before Jesus' birth, was fulfilled in Jesus. That was the first prophecy in the Bible about the Messiah. Because when Jesus died on the cross, paying for the sins of all who will trust him, and when he rose from the dead, he broke Satan's power broke Satan's power and guaranteed that Satan and all of his demons would be conquered and cast into hell. Guaranteed that. And that's why during Jesus' earthly ministry, everywhere he went, he met people who were tormented by demons and he freed them from their torment from demons. Casting out demons, freeing people from demons, was a significant part of Jesus' ministry. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Oh, I love this passage. So here's the setting. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling across the Sea of Galilee, 
Remember last week, the storm, Jesus stilling the wind and the waves. They crossed the Sea of Galilee, came to the eastern shore of Galilee, to the region of the Gerasenes, where the Gerasenes people lived, a Gentile group. And when they landed, a man off in the distance saw Jesus and ran up to Jesus and fell down at Jesus' feet. And it was clear that there was something terribly wrong with this man. So, what was wrong with him? How does Luke describe him? Let's take that as our first question. How does Luke describe this man? And start off reading in verse 26 of Luke chapter 8. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And then Luke explains, parenthesis, for many a time it, this demon, had seized him, this man. He was kept under guard. This man was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. In verse 27, Luke tells us that this man had demons. Now, why did he have demons? And we can all think he must have committed some particular sin to have these demons. But let's remember, the Bible teaches us that before we were saved through faith in Jesus, we were all under Satan's power. We were all under the power of demons. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, that we were all held captive by Satan to do his will before we were saved. Now, most of the time, Satan keeps his power hidden behind the scenes, and he enslaves us and holds us as captives by socially acceptable things like jobs, like money, like entertainment, right? Those are the kinds of things that we were enslaved by, most of us. But there are times when Satan allows his power to be seen more obviously, more publicly. We see it in its true ugliness, and that's when Satan has people be tormented and oppressed and possessed by demons. And that's what's happening with this man here. Everyone knew that this man had demons, plural. And in fact, when Jesus asks this demon, its name, the answer is legion. Now, in that culture, the Roman army had legions of soldiers, and a legion was 6,000 soldiers. So we're talking multiple demons oppressing, tormenting this man. And, and this, if you think about it, would have been absolutely terrifying. I mean, just imagine one demon. Imagine that you had one evil spirit living inside of you, living inside of you, pure evil. This demon is pure evil. 
and more powerful than you are in yourself, pure evil, more powerful than you are, who's able to make you do things you don't want to do and say things you don't want to say, like as we're going to see in this story, like tear off your clothes and go running out into the tombs. So these demons can make you do things that look like just insane behavior. At any time, it's out of your control. Imagine the terror that you would feel. Now, let me just mention that the Bible does not teach that all insane behavior is caused by demons. Some is caused by severe mental health issues. Not all is caused by demons. Some is caused by severe mental health issues. But in this case, in this passage, and in some cases, it is caused by demons. And it, it would be absolutely terrifying. I mean, think about the story in Mark chapter 9. There's a young boy described there who has a demon. And this demon, as the boy is walking along, maybe by a little fire on the side, people cooking, this demon would make the boy fall into that fire in order to burn and hurt him. Or if the boy was walking along a, a lake, maybe with a steep bank, the demon would make him fall off that bank into the deep lake in order to drown him. So think of the, the terror of this young boy, not knowing when this demon was all of a sudden going to do something that would bring him great harm and pain and, and hurt. And, and this man in Mark, in Luke 8, has multiple, a legion of demons living in him. Now, some of you might think, talk about demons, evil spirits. Isn't this just kind of like, like a myth, a legend, just a fairy tale? I mean, are you really telling me that there's, there's real demons? Isn't Luke just using this like symbolically or like an, an analogy or an allegory of some sort? No, it's clear. When we read Luke, he's talking about something that actually happened, really happened. This man really had demons. There are real demons. We read this throughout the Bible. Demons are supernatural spiritual beings who were angels, but who have rebelled against God. And in their rebellion, they became pure evil. They hate God. They despise Jesus. Now they know that they will end up being punished in hell forever. Satan and the demons know that. They know that very well, but their passion then is, okay, we're going to take as many people to hell with us as we possibly can. And we're going to torment as many people on the way as we possibly can. Now, let me just make a couple of comments, though, of caution here. One caution. We're talking a lot about demons this morning, and some of you might at this point be feeling fearful, like, yikes, what, what might happen to me if, if I face up with a demon? Now understand, because you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as your Lord, and as your all-satisfying treasure, you have nothing to fear from demons. They have everything to fear from you. As long as you're trusting Jesus, if you're trusting Jesus, if you're not yet trusting Jesus, then we love you. We're glad you're listening. Put your trust in Jesus. So no follower of Jesus should ever be afraid. We're sober. We're alert. 
We know that the devil is prowling like a roaring lion, but we are not fearful because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So that's one caution. A second caution that I want to bring is that, is that there is teaching about demons in Christian circles, and some of it's very good, and some of it is not very good. There's teaching about like Jezebel spirits and about if you are envious, it's because you've got a spirit of envy. If you experience lust, you've got a spirit of lust. The Bible never talks that way. And if you focus on those kinds of things that the Bible doesn't talk about, then you will neglect what the Bible does tell us in terms of how do we battle lust or, or envy. We do wrestle against Supernatural powers, Paul says, but the way we wrestle with them in Ephesians chapter 6, study this passage, is with prayer and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Sin is never combated by casting out a spirit, never in the Bible. There are real spirits, and in our lives we may be used by God to cast spirits out of people, but that's not how we battle sin, is by trying to cast spirits out of us. So, study the Bible on evil spirits and on demons and on how to fight sin and on everything else for that matter. Study the Bible. Don't be distracted from the Bible. So anyway, demons know they're going to hell and their goal is to take as many people with them to be punished with them as possible and to torment humanity as much as possible in the meantime. And that's what's happening here. Now, what did these demons make this man do? Verse 27, we read that for a long time he wore no clothes, and for a long time he had not lived in a house but out in the, in the tombs. This is what these demons did to him. And when this man saw Jesus landing on the shore, he ran up to him, fell down, and at this point the demons shouted out, What have you to do with me? Son of the Most High God, Jesus, I beg you, do not torment me. Now, notice from that that the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. How did they know? How did they know exactly who Jesus was? Well, remember, demons were angels who were in existence from before creation of the world, right? And so they knew God, and they knew who Jesus was. They, despised, they rebelled, they despised God, they despised Jesus, but they know who Jesus is very, very well. They know he's the one who's going to cast them into hell, and they hate him. And so at least one of these demons then begs Jesus, do not torment us. Don't send us into hell now. Then in verse 29, we read that many a time it had seized him. So there were times when these demons especially seized this man. There were times of relative freedom, but there were times where he was especially seized by them. And then they would overpower him. So just think of the terror of, of, of going through a day not knowing when these demons would overpower you and make you tear off your clothes and, and go running out into the, into the tombs. So as a result of what this man would experience, understandably, these townspeople were afraid of him. And so they had captured him. And they bound him with chains and shackles, we read. But remember, demons have supernatural power. 
And so even though this man was bound with chains and shackles, they enabled this man to break those chains and shackles, and then they drove him out into the desert, Luke tells us. Now again, remember, this is not the only way that Satan oppresses people. Like I said, before we were trusting Jesus, we were all his captives. We were all slaves of Satan. But most of the time, Satan keeps his blatant evil behind the scenes, and he will enslave us with things that are socially acceptable, even good things like having a family and having a job. As long as he can keep people from Jesus, he doesn't mind them being enslaved with those things. But there are times when Satan allows his evil to go public, to manifest more openly. And that's what we're facing here. There are times when he allows his demons, has his demons openly torture and torment and oppress people. And that's what this poor man is facing in this story. So just think of his condition. For a long time, this is what he'd been experiencing. Think of the despair in his heart, the terrible loneliness he felt, the fear, the, the terror that he would take with him through the day. It's heartbreaking. This is what Satan does, church. This is sin in all of its evil and wickedness. Let's see it. It is horrifying. Don't ever play games with sin. That's a clear picture from this passage. This poor man, heartbreaking. Now, good news coming, though. Luke tells us what Jesus does. What did Jesus do? Start with verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. That's what Jesus did. And then Luke explains, For many a time it, the demon, had seized him, this man. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. End of parenthesis. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these pigs. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man, glorious, and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now in verse 29, we see that Jesus commands the demons to come out of this man. And don't miss the significance of this. This is a huge part of Jesus' earthly ministry. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, the fall when sin entered the world, demons had been terribly terrorizing and tormenting and torturing humanity. But 
In the Old Testament, we do not read about people being delivered, freed from demons like they are here. But in the ministry of Jesus, when Jesus the Messiah comes, when he comes bringing the kingdom, the kingdom is starting to come into the, into the world, demons start to be cast out of people. So wherever Jesus went, this is beautiful, wherever he went, he came upon people who were demonized, who were terrorized by demons, and he freed them one after the other. And that's what's happening here. This is beautiful. Now, then in verse 30, Jesus asks about the name and learns that this is a legion of demons. And then these demons beg Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. Now, what is the abyss? Well, we get two clues from Luke here. One clue is in verse 28, where they say, do not torment me. The, the, the abyss seems to be a place of torment. And then verse 31 shows that the demons know that at some point they will be cast into the abyss. So put those two clues together. The abyss is a place of torment, and the abyss is a place where the demons will end up being sent. So where is this place? What is this place of torment that the demons will end up being sent to? It's hell, where the demons and Satan will all be punished along with those who've continued in rebellion against Jesus. So why does Jesus agree to not send them into the abyss? He could have. Why did he agree not to? Why does he instead send them into a herd of pigs? I think this is because this is not yet the time for the demons to be cast into the abyss, into hell. That time will certainly come at the end of history, but that time is not yet. This is the time, though, when Jesus is freeing people from demons. So while Jesus does not send these demons into the abyss, he does send them out of the man and into the herd of pigs. Now, again, this is a Gentile area. Gentiles ate pork. Jews did not eat pork. That's why there was a herd of pigs there, because this is a Gentile area. They're raising pigs to eat. And Jesus commands the demons to leave this man and to go into the herd of pigs. The demons go into the herd of pigs. The pigs are all get into a panic, and the demons make them go down a steep bank and be drowned in the lake. Now, don't miss the amazing transformation this would have meant for this man who had been terrorized by demons for a long time. He'd had a multitude of purely evil, powerful spirits in him who were able to make him do and say things he did not want to do or say. Imagine the terror, the loneliness, the heartbreak that he would have experienced, but then imagine the, the joy. Jesus commands the demons to leave him, and they all leave him. And they go into the herd of pigs and destroy the herd of pigs into the water. So think of the, the freedom that this man would have felt and the, the transformation and the hope and the joy that would have been his. Now understand the only one who can free people from demons is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, because Jesus broke Satan's power all demonic powers in dying on the cross and rising from the dead, and he is showing that he would do that by casting the demons out here. And when Jesus meets this man, 
who is so terribly oppressed and harassed and traumatized by these demons. He commands the demons to leave him. And the moment he commands them, because he has all authority, they all leave. This man is delivered by Jesus. He is freed by Jesus. Massive, absolute transformation that this man experienced. Verse 35, he now is sitting at Jesus' feet. He is clothed. He's in his right mind. Beautiful transformation. But now there's one other point that Luke wants to make from this passage. He gives six verses describing how people respond to what has taken place. So let's ask this last question. How did people respond to this? And there are two very different responses. So as we look at this, I want you to ask, which way am I responding? There's two different responses. Which one am I responding with? Start with verse 34. When the herdsmen, those who were raising the, she, uh, the, the, the pigs, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So one response is fear. See, the herdsmen fled from the scene, went throughout the countryside into the city, told everyone what had happened, and then all the city and the country folk went out to see for themselves the evidence of what had happened, and they saw this man who they all knew had been traumatized, terrorized by demons. They all saw him sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, why were they afraid? Why? Well, notice Luke ties their fear directly to seeing this man who they knew had been demonized sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And Luke does the same thing in the next two verses. Verse 36, And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Again, what gave them this great fear was seeing this man, who they knew had been terribly traumatized by demons, transformed, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed in his right mind. But instead of seeing that and then wanting to learn more, they ask Jesus to leave. They're, they're frightened. Leave Jesus, please. Instead of seeing that taking place and wanting to sit, join this man and sit at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, who are you? How did you do that? And, and, and Jesus, could you free me from my guilt, from my sin, from my loneliness, from my emptiness? Could you free me? Instead of joining this man sitting at Jesus' feet, they were frightened and wanted Jesus to leave. Now, why? It had nothing to do with the cost of the pigs. 
Luke does not connect their fear with the cost of the pigs. That's not what he connects it with. It's because they saw what had happened to this man. See, when Jesus' power and when his perfect goodness comes into a group of people, evil is exposed, sin is exposed, demons are exposed, and Jesus' power frees from demons and evil and sin. That's what happens when Jesus comes. Just like when you turn a light on in a dark room, the cockroaches are exposed. When Jesus comes into a group of people, his perfect glory, goodness, righteousness, holiness exposes demons, sin, evil, and frees people from demons, sin, and evil. But these people didn't want to be freed from their sin and their evil. They wanted to hold on to their sin and evil. Yes, Jesus was exposing it. They could tell. Please leave, Jesus. Please leave. They didn't want to have their sin exposed and didn't want to be freed from their sin. They wanted to hold on to their sin. So, many responded with fear to Jesus. They didn't want their sin exposed. But, this one man who had been freed from the demons, responds with devotion. Not fear, devotion. He's sitting at Jesus' feet, which means he's being taught by Jesus. Jesus, what happened to me? And, and Jesus, how did you save me? And, and Jesus, who are you? He was sitting at Jesus' feet being taught by him. We also see his devotion in verse 38 and verse 39. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, to be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So this man begged Jesus that he might be with him. Now ask yourself, is that what's in your heart? Have you so experienced Jesus' reality and saving power and glory and love and beauty? Have you so experienced Jesus that that your life passion is to be with him? That's your longing. Is, Is like the high point of your day sitting at Jesus' feet, being in His presence, talking with Him, studying His Word. Is is that the high point of your day? And because you see how sin takes you from Him, do you hate sin and battle sin? Is that what's in your heart? And, And do you live your life to do whatever you can do to be as close to Him as you possibly can be? devotion to Jesus. This man begged Jesus to be with him. But Jesus, with great love and tenderness, said, no, I want you to return home. And I'm sure that Jesus' presence by the Spirit was strong on him even as he left. But I want you to return home and declare how much God has done for you. And so he obeys. In fact, he ends up proclaiming, Luke says, throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. 
Luke wants us to be impacted by how this man responded to Jesus. He wants us not to respond to Jesus with fear that our sin will be exposed. He wants us to say, Jesus, expose my sin, show me my sin, and then forgive me for my sin and cleanse me from my sin, and he will. And this man responds then with devotion. So here's my encouragement to us, Grace Church, and everybody who's listening. See the love and the power and the goodness of Jesus. In this passage, in the scriptures, see Jesus. And if you've never before turned to him and said, expose my sin, forgive me for my sin, cleanse me, set me free from my sin, I want you as my all-satisfying treasure. I want to turn from sin. Do that right now. Do that today. See Jesus in this passage, standing forth in all of his love and glory and power. And then... Second, be devoted to Jesus. Be with Jesus, to knowing Him, to trusting Him, to obeying Him. Be devoted to Jesus. And then third, Grace Church, let's do this. Let's proclaim through this whole city of Abu Dhabi, let's proclaim what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray together. We bow before you, Jesus Christ, Messiah, Son of the Most High God, who has all power over demons, Satan, sin, everything. We bow before you. We glory in your love, in your power, in your goodness, in your grace. We love you, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that right now you would be having many people listening turn from their sin, trust you to cleanse them from sin, to forgive them for sin, and that you'd save many people listening. I pray that you would do that right now. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would see your glorious power and grace and goodness and reality more clearly so that we would be devoted to you, to knowing you, seeking your face, trusting you, obeying you. And then, Lord, work through us as Grace Church to declare, to proclaim to the whole city who you are, Jesus Christ, and what you have done for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.